for 30 plus years. I've seen every type of child grow up. Instead of giving me what I wanted, she gave me what I needed, which was truth. Don't let emotions win. Let truth win. Do your very best, and you should have a lot of fun while you do it. And the better you get at something, the more fun you're going to have at something. You moms and dads are wired with everything you need to be a parent to a great kid. Welcome to Parenting Great Kids. This is episode number 13, Kids and Money. I'm your host, Dr. Meg Meeker, and today we have a very special guest. Her name is Rachel Cruz. She is the daughter of Dave Ramsey. She is a national speaker, and she has a brand new book, Love Your Life, Not Theirs. Terrific title. Also, I'm going to be featuring a social media question about a mother who has challenges exploding and yelling. Hmm, many of us can relate to that. As always, I'll share my points to ponder for you so that you can have something to start using right away. And finally, parents, as a reminder, please don't just download these episodes. Click subscribe, because when you do that, you're joining my parenting revolution, and every new episode will automatically show up in your subscribed list. You won't regret it. I love sharing with you on this podcast. It's a way to share information and learn, and I hope it encourages you to parent those great kids of yours. If you're ready to take a deeper step, I'd encourage you to check out my books. I've written books like Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters, 10 Habits of Happy Mothers, Boys Should Be Boys, and Strong Mothers, Strong Sons. Books allow us to explore these important topics in a different and deeper way, and you just might find the answers and encouragement that you've been looking for. If you're interested, go to megmeekermd.com for more information of any of my books or my online programs. And friends, if you've been listening to these podcasts and you like us, would you do me a favor and go to iTunes and write us a review? I want to know what you think, what you like, and well, if you don't like it, just don't write anything. So now let's listen in on a conversation I had with Rachel Cruz about her new book, Love Your Life, Not Theirs. today is a wonderful author and friend, Rachel Cruz. Rachel is a personal finance expert and a New York Times best-selling author. She walks readers through seven essential money habits that will change the way they think about money and allow them to live the lives they want without being buried under the weight of debt, stress, and worry. It's just released, so people can go to rachelcruz.com and buy it. Love your life, not theirs. Rachel, thanks for being with me. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. You know, and to watch you as a mom now oh, is so cool. Thank you so much. And to watch you sort of live exactly what you're teaching is a very cool thing for me. Um, and I will tell you, watching you and watching your dad has changed my spending habits, because I'll admit, before <laughs> Before I knew you and your dad, I didn't do much of a budget. I just kind of bought my groceries and did this. So, so this sure, has been really great. Sure, which is so normal, so normal. Well, it is so normal, but it's not a it's not a great habit to be in. So, um, but you have your new book. The title of your book, "Love Your Life, Not Theirs," implies there's a problem, and the problem is people are having a hard time being content and happy with what they have. They're constantly comparing themselves to other people. Why do we do that? Well, I think more than ever, social media has made this easier. And I think the whole idea of keeping up with the Joneses, which was back in my parents' generation, you know, that's what they, my parents say, well, don't keep up with the Joneses. 
But then you actually had to see the Joneses in person. Like you actually had to yes. see Mr. Jones drive his new car into the driveway, right? I mean, and so today, um, you know, the world we're living in, I'm like, gosh, there's Instagram, there's Facebook, there's Twitter. And so the comparison game starts up and it's constant because it's everywhere. I mean, we carry the Joneses in our back pockets, basically, we on do. our phones. And yeah. so, and it's a hard world we live in. And so I just realized really from my own life, my own struggle when it came to comparisons or money, I was realizing, okay, I'm falling into this trap, whether it's fashion bloggers that I don't even know, you know, like some girl in New York, or it's my own friend who completely redid her kitchen, whatever the whatever the spectrum was, I found myself feeling like, okay, well, you know, I, I don't look like that, or my kitchen doesn't look like that, or oh, they got a new car, or okay, you know, I felt this need suddenly to keep up. And it was keeping up with people that I didn't even know, some even of them, know. Yeah. which was horrible, you know, and I, and I sit back and I put logic to it. I'm like, no, that's crazy, Rachel. But I thought, you know, if, if, it, if I'm doing that, if I feel that struggle, which is making me want to go spend more money, then I bet other people are. So just this realizing this comparison game, not only affects our emotions, but it affects our money habits as well. You know, and that's what it's really so profound about it, because I think we all know we do it, because we look at the happy people. We look at the fresh kitchens. We look at the new stuff. I mean, walk into a mall, everything is new. You, yes. There's always a newer, more beautiful pair of shoes or a hairstyle or a kitchen or a car, whatever it is. And it's really hard not to want that. And then you put in the social media and the new stuff looks really perfect. And the people who own the new stuff look really happy. (laughs) And we all want to be happy. It does. It changes our behavior in a very devastating way. And it can cause us to accrue a lot of debt. Absolutely. Because what we're comparing ourselves to is someone else's highlight reel. I mean, it's the best part of everyone's life. And I'm guilty of this. We just got back from the beach uh, with my husband and our little girl. And I found myself wanting to post the cute pictures of her smiling. Like, <laughs> yeah. I have a picture of her running on the beach and she's smiling. But what happens? She trips, she falls, or the bird flies away. She can't catch it. She's crying. You know, I mean, like, like other life happens, but we don't see that part of everyone's life. So we're comparing our life and we end up spending money we may or may not have to keep up this lifestyle that we think everyone else is living and we're the ones missing out on. Right. Well, that's not reality. It's not the whole picture. And so just kind of hitting that over and over in my own life again, I was like, gosh, is there a way that we can handle our money well, where we can strive for things, we can have goals, we can want to go on a great vacation or buy a new car eventually. Those things aren't bad. But when we're you know, diminishing our present because of someone else's social media life, that's where it gets dangerous. Mm-hmm. So the book is really as much about psychology and philosophy as it is about money, isn't <laughs> You're it? You're making me sound so deep, Meg. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, but it, but, it, but it really is a profound thing because we're, we're all so, particularly moms, and you yes. and I are moms, uh, yes. we're so competitive. You know, everybody wants their child to do as well as their friend's kids. We want our kids to have the opportunity that their, you know, our friends' children have. And we don't want our kids to miss out on anything. And I think that this really drives mothers crazy. But I never really thought of it in the impact on our finances. And when you're out on the road speaking, because you go out on the road speaking a lot, and you talk to parents, do you find that parents are actually going into debt because of this, because they want somebody else's life, and maybe they don't even know it? Yeah, I think it's more that they don't know it. I mean, that's yeah. I think that's the deeper, deeper root of it all. But they just see, oh no, we we you know we're, we have another kid, so we need to buy a new car. You know, we need an SUV. Right. We need to upgrade a car because I'm pregnant again. Or, um, you know, well, this is the best school they need to go to. It uh, even though we have we, we're going to take out ninety thousand dollars in student loan debt, but it's a great school they should go to. It. You know, you hear all of these things, but deep rooted, you know, where does that come from? Does right. it come from? And maybe not for everyone's situation, but for the most part in our world today, I think a lot of it comes from this discontentment, not feeling like you're belonging, that everyone else 
else has this great life that you don't have. I think it just keeps getting deeper and deeper. And so it was funny, actually, when I was expecting uh, one of my best friends, her husband was when when we told him we were pregnant, he was like, well, welcome to the world of comparisons. That was his first comment. And so I started realizing, you know, what, you know, pregnancy, labor and delivery, newborn, children, family, and then talking to friends, you know, in the preschool drop-off line that they see the new car and the kids coming out with matching backpacks. I mean, like, it just keeps going and going and going. And whether you have a family, whether you're single, no matter what stage of life you're in, I just find that so many people, it, it's a it's a combated uh, issue because it deals with our emotions, but it can manifest with our money and our finances, right. which ends up being numbers and interest rates, whatever. Um, but deep down, I think it's rooted in this idea that we, we aren't content. So how do we get there? We're not content. And and our answer is automatically, we'll go buy something that is going to make you feel more content. And again, that's subconscious too. So what are the biggest um, money problems that people get into when they respond to this need? I need to keep up with you. I need to look like you and feel like you and have kids like you. What what kind of money problems do they end up having? Well, first and foremost, debt. Mm -hmm. Because I really do believe that that the road to comparison will always dead end with debt. Again, spending money you may or may not have to keep up this lifestyle. And so, you know, you can look at the statistics, you know, the average credit card debt, you know, that families have, the average car loans, you know, $492, you know, mostly on SUVs or whatever, whatever stats you want to pull, um, we're just seeing that manifest. And so debt has a way to give you what you want right when you want it. Mm-hmm. And that's the hard thing is it's so instant. It's such instant gratification. Just swipe the credit card. Just go take out the car loan. You can have whatever you want. Just use debt. But what people don't realize is not only the risk they're taking on financially, but also the emotional risk in a sense that when you owe someone something, things change. Like that remodeled kitchen, you know, people take out a second mortgage on a home to redo a kitchen. And then now that bill is is stressing out the marriage because he may have lost his job. I mean, you just, you don't, you don't take into consideration life that happens or life that can, that can happen. And so that's, that's one huge problem I see is debt. And people are living a life deep in debt again to keep up a lifestyle. Do you think millennials are more comfortable with debt than um, the generation before them? I would say absolutely, mm-hmm. yes, because debt is so, so normal. I mean, if you look generationally of how debt has entered our lives, you know, my great-grandparents would have said debt's a sin. Yeah. And then the grandparents, yeah. you know, you only borrow on the house. And then right. my parents' generation was like, okay, you just take out one credit card and then maybe a car loan. Now my generation, all of that is normal. And then put, now the student loan is the huge financial crisis of my generation right. um, with average college students, you know, graduating with $32,000 in debt. And so we're seeing that as the lump of, of financial stress for the millennials. So not only are car loans so normal, the only way to have a great car is, you know, to go take out a car loan or to have four credit cards um, and then to have a student loan. Yes, everyone does it. Everyone has it. And it's so, so normalized. So for my job to like pick that out of people, twist it and say, could you imagine a life where you didn't have payments, you know, and you had actually money in the bank and you're, and you're earning interest instead of paying out interest. I mean, the opposite effect of what you could do, um, I believe gives you that peace that I think people are scrambling for when they're going into the debt. Yes. Yes. You know, and it is, it, it, it is a very scary thing because um, people who are in that much debt, and I'm always surprised at people my age, you know, in their 50s, who are in so much debt. And people who are very wealthy, I had a friend say to me recently, my husband and I don't really own anything. Now, they had mm. about five cars, two boats, mm-hmm. and a beautiful home, and they own nothing. 
Yes. But I remember my father saying, you never take a second mortgage out on your home mm. because if you default, you lose your home and you never lose your home. You write about the antidote to discontentment, and you say that if we are going to be content people, we have to practice gratitude and humility. Tell us about that. Yeah, I have found that gratitude can can beat so many things in life in a really amazing way. And so um, I've started this thing in my own life. I call it the gratitude list, and it's really simple. I just have a, my, the notes icon on my iPhone. I click it, and every morning I, I try to be consistent. I'm not always perfect, but I try to just write down two things that I'm grateful for because in the mornings I used to start off looking at Instagram, Twitter, emails, text messages. I mean, before I even get out of bed, my phone's right next to my face and I'm you know doing life and I'm like, okay, if I just slow down, start with just two things I'm grateful for, and I try to do unique things every day. So now, you know, doing this months and months and months, I have this running list of all these things I'm grateful for. So when I find the picture on Facebook of the redone kitchen, you know, or I find the cute outfit or whatever, whatever it is that I feel this like, <gasps> like need. Yeah. I just, I really do. It sounds cheesy, but I click that list and I'm like, Rachel, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. And even the world I'm in, um, which not everyone can relate to, but you know, releasing a book. And I'm like, I have friends that have released books and they've hit like crazy on the list, you know, and I'm like, oh my gosh, but I'm like, Rachel, it's okay. It's okay. okay. You have yes. a lot to be grateful for, for no matter what happens. So like, you know, yes, you can strive and, and have goals and, and want to do well in life and still be content. I believe all of that. But the deep rootedness of being grateful, I feel like it just calms so much uh, for me. And so gratitude is huge. But I think you, you, you're not able to be grateful unless you're humble. Mm hmm. And humility is an amazing thing in our world today. And I love C.S. Lewis's quote of humility. He said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. Mm -hmm. And the more selfless we, we become, the more we think about others and how we can serve well and love people well, it's amazing, you know, the, the, the joy that comes from that. And I think the gratitude and then you look up and you're like, oh, I feel, I feel good about my life. You know, the contentment comes. And so it is kind of a formula in a sense, um, not to sound too formal, but, but for me, those steps have really helped me. And I think, again, that level of contentment, when you can get there, that gives you solid ground for so much in life. But with your money, because it's obviously a money book, um, gosh, to be able to start on level ground with contentment and then to build from there with your finances, it's well, amazing. And the, and the truth is anyone can be content. You yes. know, it crosses all socioeconomic yes. barriers. Paul talking about contentment while in jail. While in, scripture. in jail. I mean, like yep. it, it is. Yep. Absolutely. And I think many years ago, they, they did a study on, and I, it wasn't a formal study, but sort of polled different groups of people around the country. And I think the fa they found that the happiest people were the Amish mm. who, who had the least Ugh. because their lives were so simple. Yes. And contentment is really all about breaking that cycle of I want, I want, I want. Because no matter how much you have, there's always more to have. Yes. There's always an upgrade. There's always an upgrade. <laughs> From your TV, your phone, your clothes, yeah. car, whatever. And, yeah. and the upgrade never delivers. Yes. But, but we sort of live this lie that it does deliver. If a parent is living with a sense that they want someone else's life or what someone else's ha has or what's, what their neighbor has or that car or um, more education, whatever it is, do they transfer that to their children? Oh, I think so. Absolutely. I, I don't think parents... Um, realize the sponges that their kids are, and their parent and, and parents may. But the conversations you have, the roll of the eyes, the the smugging of someone else, if someone else wins, and there's a snide comment about them. I mean, all of those things your kids pick up on. And if mom isn't happy with her life right now, and she's always talking about so and so who lives on the street, you know, or dad comes home from work and you know has these conversations. Yes, your kids are going to pick up on that and think, okay. Because parents, in most kids' life, their parent is their hero, mm -hmm. especially at a younger age. And you probably know this way better than I do. You know, so your kids are looking up to you. And the way you do life, your kids are going to assume that's the right way to do it. 
Right. Whether it's handling money, wh- whatever it is, they're assuming, okay, that's the right way. I want to do that. And so if you're living your life as a parent, discontent, always wanting someone else's life, that's what your kids are going to think is normal and good. Um, and so you're, I always say more is caught than taught. Yes. Your kids are watching you. They hear you and they're watching you. And so setting that example um, and being, you know, again, you can have hard times. I'm not talking about, you know, not struggling ever, um, but setting that baseline of, of contentment. Oh, it's a blessing, a gift to give your kids. And, and what an incredible gift to, your, to give to your children. Yes. That here's how you live a content life. Here's yes. how you live a life um, of humility. Here's how you live a life of gratitude, because that's real freedom and that's real joy. And if you can g- begin to give that to them via showing them how you spend your money and how you don't spend your money, which yes, is even probably yes. more important than how you how you spend your money. Absolutely, is a real wonderful gift. So, talk to us about the financial ways, or or what are the, some of the things that you talk about in Love Your Life, Not Theirs, on how people can get control of their finances to break out of this intense desire to want to have what other people have. Absolutely. Well, there's the emotional aspect, which I feel like we've hit on very well of, of gratitude and humility and contentment, um, but kind of putting, you know, more um, logistical sense, you know, um, to it, I would say making a plan for your money is key. And I feel like I hope when people heard us talk about debt earlier that it didn't seem hopeless because no matter where you are financially, whether you are a millennial that believes debt is normal or whether you are that 50-year-old couple who doesn't own anything, you owe everything, no matter where you are, you can break that cycle of debt and you can get control of your money and making a plan for your money is key. And that's a budget. Uh, which so many people roll their eyes. So don't, write it down. Don't yeah, and don't stop this listening to this because I feel like people hear the word budget and they're like, I'm out of here. You know, no, it's it's amazing what a budget does. Because for me, I'm a spender naturally. I'm a free spirit. I'm a partier. Like the thought of sitting down and doing a budget sounds nauseating to me. And so that was the thing I resisted the most with my money is to have a plan. And I was like, oh, I don't want to plan for everything. Like it just stresses me out. Yeah. And so I realized though after doing it. Uh, and Winston and I, after we got married and we did it together, after months and months of it, I realized, okay, a budget doesn't limit your freedom. A budget gives you freedom. It gives you freedom. A budget gives exactly. you permission to spend. It allows you to to list the things that you value, be able to do the things that you want to do. And that's what a budget does. It's giving you intentionality with your money. And you're not going to win in life if you're not intentional. Right. You're not going to be a great parent unless you're intentional. You're not going to have a great marriage unless you're intentional. You're not going to win with money unless you're intentional. And a budget is that. And it's visual, just like you said. You need to see it. And so whether it's you know an app on your phone, we have an app called Every Dollar, it's amazing, or you just write it down on a sheet of paper, have it visual and that's your game plan for the month. And and that's my biggest piece of advice for people when they're like, I don't even know what to do when I'm starting out with my money. How do I gain control? That's what I tell them. You do a monthly budget. Figure out the amount of money you're going to make in the next month. Mm-hmm. List out all of your expenses and ideally your income minus those expenses equals zero. Yeah. So every dollar coming in is assigned to a category. And again, really tactical, but this is where you start to feel control because yeah. for so many people, their money just controls them. I mean, they, they have no control. And so switching that perspective and say, okay, I'm going to control my money. Here's what I'm going to do this month. The power that it gives you, not only with the numbers and cents, gosh, but the the emotional power and the peace that comes with that to plan. And, and scripture talks about that, you know, know the state of your flocks and your herds. And Luke, it says, don't build a tower without first counting the costs. You know, so much of this is it's a plan. And that's what a budget is. Mm-hmm. And I would say as a pediatrician, this is critical for our children because kids need to know how to take charge of money. They need to know how to deal with money. One of the things that I've run into frequently is this, and I don't know if you've seen this Rachel, a lot of parents don't want to talk to their kids about money for some reason, particularly parents who have a lot of money. Mm -hmm. I think they're afraid to talk to their kids about it 
I don't know if they think their kids are going to look at them differently or if they're going to want to squander money or whatever. They picture a reality star and they're yeah. like, I don't want my child to be that right yeah, here. They just run off and spend millions. Exactly. And it's like, but I think that, you know, I look at the way your father taught you kids on how to manage money. I mean, you all manage money beautifully. So when should parents start really talking to their kids about money and going through these things? Like, here's how you make a budget. Now, a little kid doesn't have a budget, but you can still teach them how to manage their money. What age do you recommend parents start talking to kids about money? Well, I say it's very age appropriate. And so that's the key word. And I think I meet some parents that are like both extremes or one's like, well, my three-year-old, I tried to get them to mow the grass. I was going to pay the money and they didn't want to. And I'm like, oh my God, your child's three. Like, chill out. (laughs) Chill out. Yeah. And so, yeah. So again, very age appropriate. And I would say too, more than the actual number of the age, but the maturity level of what they can handle. But anywhere from, you know, I, I think you can really start conversations small, like three, four years old, you know, around five, six, seven, start implementing. I, I like to talk about the commission system. Have a few chores they do around the house where they earn money and teach them to give, save, and spend. That's it. Very simple. And it doesn't have to be this, you know, um, I always say like one decision isn't going to change your kid's life forever. It's the small habit that you're forming in them slowly but surely. And to know later in life when you do have those big conversations because mom and dad had that conversation with us kind of like the reveal if you will of like hey this is what God's given us to steward in life and this is what you may eventually steward one day and so like we're going to talk about this and so yeah it can be awkward it can be weird um, but having those conversations are key and just know that money is like a magnifying glass it makes you more of what you already are so you're building character in your children as you raise them and then you put money on top of it it's going to magnify who they become now if your child is crazy, a heroin addict, then giving them, you know, possibly an inheritance later in life that's going to ruin them. You know, you want to make sure your children are in good places, you know, when that day comes. But overall, as you're building character in your child, the money conversation, that's just what's going to magnify. Well, parents, I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Rachel Cruz. We need to take a break for a quick moment, but we'll be back. Don't go away. Friends, one of the reasons why advertisers love this podcast is that they know we have the best listeners. Right now, we have a survey that I'd like you to take to help us learn more about our audience. Just go to podsurvey.com forward slash Meg. Survey only takes five minutes. We're going to ask you some questions about yourself and what you like to buy, but it's completely anonymous. Your answers help us find advertisers that are well matched to you, your interests, and the show. When you're finished, you can enter a monthly drawing to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Even if you've taken a podcast listener survey before, I'd like to ask you to take ours so you can help us support the show. Don't forget that you have a chance to win that $100 gift card. Once again, that's podsurvey.com slash M-E-G. Thanks for helping us find the best advertisers so that we can keep this podcast show free. How old were you kids when your parents started talking to you about managing money well? Oh, gosh. I don't even know. I mean, as, I think as far back as I can remember. But again, they were so age appropriate. With I mean, it was little yeah. things like oh, we would be at, you know, there was a place here called Operaland. It was a theme park. And when we were kids, we got to take the money we earned. Part of that money we earned that week and take it to Operaland. We could play the little games, the carnival games at the entrance. And I ran out of money. And before we walked in, Dad, I was like, okay, Rachel. You know, once you run out of your money, you're not getting in more money. So spend it wisely. And of course, I spend it in like two seconds. Yeah. Right? I'm like a, yeah. add, a gambling addict. Right? Basically, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yeah. I can pop the balloon. I can pop the balloon. You know, I spend it all. And I was like, I need more money. And he was like, 
And he he didn't give it to you. No, no. He's like, no. And it wasn't harsh. It wasn't mean. But you learn there, okay, money's finite. Right. When it's gone, it's it's gone. gone. And so it's those little life lessons and the ebb and flow of life. That's where your kids are going to pick it up. And I would encourage parents too, you know, parents that don't want to talk to your kids about money, if you don't teach them, who is? The guidance the counselor will. is telling you that student loans are the only way, the car yeah. salesman. I mean, who is it? And so as a parent, I believe it is your obligation to teach your kids how to manage money well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's going to be a point where they have to decide on their own if that's what they're going to do. But as a parent, giving them that foundation, it is a gift. Because I talk to so many people from all ages, but especially, you know, in my generation, the millennials, who's, their parents never taught them. So I'm like, well, no wonder you're, you know, $80,000 in debt at the age of 23. No one taught you. And so, again, you have to own up to your choices. I understand that. But giving your kids that head start of just the knowledge of what to do is tremendous. Yeah. Well, you know, I love that sort of how you walk through your book of first parents have to get control over why do I spend what I spend? Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it's hard. It's hard because I can do that too. And now with the internet, you know, if you're bored, you I just know. start, you just start, I go on Banana Republic. I'm on Banana Republic. How did I you get know, it? Oh, and I hit, hit the sales and oh, yes. that's only $35, you know, know, and you have to be, it's so, so, so easy. And, you know, and I would never say, well, I'm buying those things because I'm not content because I know better. I am content. Sure. I'm a very happy person. Yes. I know, but you just sort of out of boredom, you do those things. But there really are a whole lot of parents out there who feel this compulsion that if they just have that or do that mm-hmm. or buy that car or reach that salary, mm-hmm. life will be so good and it's elusive and it doesn't deliver. So really, your book is about getting control of that, living with gratitude and humility, and then getting some real financial goals and plans in place. And that's what I love about what you do. You know, you're just, you can think philosophically and teach this sort of philosophical lesson and say, okay, now here's what you do. One, two, three, four, make a budget. (laughs) That's right, yeah. Well, and overall, too, the part of my message in the book is I just want people to know you can be wise with your money and still live a great life. Yeah. You may make sacrifices for a short period of time to get out of debt and do things. You may have to save up for that vacation a little longer than you really want to. Uh, But overall, you can still live a great life. Spending money is not a bad thing. You can enjoy the things in life. But again, where is it coming from? Do you have the money to do it? There's some benchmarks, you know, to cross before you do it. And so the book kind of lays all of that out. But creating good, healthy money habits in your life. uh, Yeah, where you can learn to love your life and not everyone else's. And not everyone else's. My guest has been Rachel Cruz. And Rachel, of course, is a a very energetic gal (laughs) with a very, very beautiful baby. And of course, he's Dave Ramsey's daughter. And the thing that's so fun is that, um, I mean, your dad, I've said this to him on air before. I mean, he's the real deal. I mean, you know, you just know what you're getting when you're talking to Dave. But, you know, his principles really work because I see it in you. I mean, if Mm. if he, he taught you so much about money and how to be wise with money and how not to be sort of buy into the idea that it can give you, it can deliver every because it doesn't deliver. And that's an extraordinary feat. And that's testimony to how well your dad and mom raised you kids. But how cool to see now that you're going to be passing it on to your kids. Oh, man, yeah. I appreciate that. Well, thanks for being here with me, Rachel. Thanks the, for having the me. The book is Love Your Life, Not Theirs, just released. So people can go to rachelcruz.com and buy it or where else? Any major bookstore. Any It'll major bookstore. Yes. Great book. You got to check it out. It's so important for parents, not only to learn how to de-stress, to be content in their lives, but most importantly to pass that on to their kids and uh, so congratulations Rachel thank you Meg thanks for having me on so parents let's dive in now let me share with you my three points to ponder 
One, our struggle will become our kids' struggle. Now, think about that. And I talked with Rachel about this. Whatever we struggle with and our kids watch will become their struggle. So, if we strive too hard to be like our friends and we want to lose weight just like our friend did and we want to go to the same gym that our friend went to because she was successful with her trainer, so we have to have that trainer. Or we find ourselves wanting to go on the same kinds of vacations or buy a nicer car because our friends just bought a nicer car. Kids will pick up on this and they will want to become just like their friend or a neighbor down the street that may be a year or two older and a little bit cooler than they are. If our kids see us want a new car because our friend has a new car, our kids are going to want new clothes because their friend has new clothes. Kids are like little sponges. They see our behavior and because they see behavior in people that they respect and look up to and need and love, they take on that behavior and they mimic it and they work it out in their own lives. They see it and they repeat it. And this is one of the most daunting truths about parenting. Our kids learn more by imitating us than by following our instructions. We know that. But when we watch our kids imitate our behavior, that truth becomes very, very real to us. One of the best ways I know to avoid falling into the trap of wanting to do more and be more just like our friends so that our kids don't fall into the trap of wanting to do more and be more just like their friend is to start to ask some why questions in three key areas of our lives. First, Why am I spending my time the way I am? If you want to know what's important to somebody, take a look at their calendar. People find a way to do what they really want to do. So if you really want to know what a person's priorities are, find out where they're spending their time. And you can learn a lot about yourself and your own priorities by looking at where are you spending all of your time? Are you spending all of your time at work? Are you working 60, 70 hours a week? to make more money. And then if you are doing that, ask, why am I spending my time the way I am? Why am I working so much? Or why am I working so little? Why am I at the gym five hours a day, five days a week? Or for all the mothers and the fathers out there who are living in the car for four or five hours a day, why are you carting your kids around to all of these activities that I guarantee you they will stop doing before they're 18? So ask yourself, why do you spend the time the way you are, and that will give you a good peek into your motives for why you do what you do. Then you ask another why question. Why do you spend the money on the things that you do? Do you buy specific clothes to make others think more highly of you? Do you spend money on your kids' clothes, athletics, vacations, etc., to make people admire you as a parent? The reasons that we choose to spend money the way we do tells us a whole lot about what we deem important, how we spend our time, how we spend our money. Finally, ask, why do I talk about a few things very, very frequently? You know, it's interesting. If you want to find out what's important to another person, listen to what they talk about. For instance, if I have a child who's struggling with weight issues, particularly an eating disorder or you know starvation or something, and I will ask a child, what do your parents talk about? Well, my parents are constantly talking about fitness. My mom is always saying she needs to lose that last 10 or 15 pounds. 
over and over and over. And a mother may say, well, that's not really that important to me, but to a child, it is important because that's what we talk about. Listen to yourself talk, and that's where you'll find what is really important to you because your struggle will become your kid's struggle. Second, the way we spend money teaches our kids how important it is or isn't to us. If we're constantly fretting about money, if we're constantly talking about buying something, or we're constantly talking about how not to buy something, or we're constantly talking about not spending money and hold on to money and never wanting to bless other people with money or give to charity, it tells kids how important money is to us. So again, we have to really, as Rachel said, check our spending habits because that's going to teach our children where money stands for us. I'll never forget my father-in-law, who died many years ago, taught me some extraordinary lessons about money in that money was truly not important to him. He gave it away easily and he spent it easily. Not that he didn't overspend, he just didn't overthink about what he was buying. He didn't underthink, he didn't overthink. To him, it was just money. It was just another thing. And one of the most remarkable things about this man is he held his palm open all the time. If somebody needed something, he would give it to them. Even if somebody needed money, he would just give them money and he wouldn't think about it and he wouldn't talk to other people about it. He wasn't irresponsible. He just, money was in the proper place. Money should never be too big or too small in our lives. Third, teaching kids to have a healthy view of money is a key to freedom. You know, nothing is more delightful than being around a person who holds money with an open palm, just like I was talking about with my father-in-law. And it doesn't mean that the person has to be loose with money or spend money and waste it, waste thousands and thousands of dollars on something extravagant and ridiculous. It just means that people recognize that money is simply a tool to help people when necessary. And if a child learns to have a healthy relationship with money, in other words, they are in charge of money because you teach them how to be in charge of money and you teach them that money is just a tool, they are bigger than their money and it just occupies a small place in your life, then you're teaching a child how to learn to live with freedom. Your child learns to see money as a means to help him or her get an education, a pair of shoes, or to help somebody else. And as Rachel said, it's very important that very early in life, we parents take the mystery out of money. Talk to your kids about how to be in charge of their money, to keep it from occupying too large of a space in their lives, if you will, to keep them from thinking about it too much so that it doesn't become their master and they grow up graduating from college where all they want to do is work many, many, many hours a week to make more and more and more money because they believe that amassing a huge amount of money is going to lead them to be happy because it's not. Teach your kids to have a healthy relationship in life with money, one of the most important gifts that you can give your kids. So let's just recap my points to ponder. One, our struggle as parents will become our kids' struggle. Second, the way we spend our money, because remember kids are watching, teaches our kids how important money is or isn't to us. And third, teaching kids to have a healthy view of money is a key to freedom. 
So regardless of what you were taught as a kid about money by your parents, move forward and determine to do it differently. Take the mystery out of money. It's very, very simple. Keep teaching your kids about money. And I will tell you, I think that you can really do it well and you can have fun with it along the way. Let's get social. I want to hear from you and interact with you. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can go to megmeekermd.com and click on the links. You can send me a question on Facebook or email it to me at askmeg at megmeekermd.com or send me a tweet at megmeekermd. I have a question from Lisa today, and she writes, Dr. Meeker, growing up, my mother would yell at me a lot. I always struggled with my relationship with my mom, and I didn't know when she would explode. Now, parenting my 11-year-old son, I have had moments when I have had explosions and yell at him. I feel bad after I raise my voice, and it feels like I'm becoming my mother. When it happens, I take a breather and I apologize to him for yelling. But I'm afraid my son will have these same traits, and I really want to break that cycle. What are some good techniques you would suggest that I could practice? Well, Lisa, I want to tell you right out the shoot, you are breaking the cycle. And here's how I can tell, because you're conscious of what is happening. You've recognized the cycle. You saw that your mother did it to you, and now you're doing it to your son, and you're seeing that there can be repetition there. And the most important first step in breaking a cycle is recognizing the pattern, Because you can't change what you don't acknowledge. And so the very fact that you are wrestling with this tells me you're overcoming it. So you are well on your way to breaking this cycle. So kudos to you, Lisa. You should give yourself a pat on the back. The other thing that's very important for you to realize is there's a fundamental psychological phenomenon, and that is this, Lisa. This is really for all parents. We repeat what we know. We grow up to do what we know to do, not what we want to do. That's why young girls who've been verbally abused by a father and mistreated by a father grow up to marry men who verbally abuse them. Do they seek out people because they want somebody to be mean to them? No, it's a subconscious thing. We gravitate towards what is comfortable and what is known because the known, even if it is wrong, is more familiar and on some level feels more comfortable than the unknown, which is different. So if you're accustomed to yelling, yelling feels very normal to you. The fact that you are recognizing that I am living out what I know, and this isn't good, and I need to stop it is very, very important. But now, Lisa, you need to go a little bit deeper, and you need to say, why am I yelling so much? Is it just because my mother taught me to? Well, in part, but in part, you're yelling at your son, not because you're really mad at your son, but because you're carrying a lot of hurt that's left over from your childhood. When you're yelling at your son, you're yelling at your mom. And it's not really fair to your son for you to dump your mom anger onto him, if you hear me. So when you come into angry episodes with your son, you're preloaded. You know, you've been loaded on the front end and you're really ready to go into a conversation or a reprimand to him with all barrels loaded. So you need to recognize that when you're angry with your son, a lot of your anger 
doesn't deserve to land on his shoulders. So think about the anger that you had towards your mother. If you feel you're going to yell, you walk out of the room. You force yourself to stop before you yell. You put your hand up to your son like, stop, pause. I'm not going to deal with you right now. You walk upstairs, you close your bedroom door, wherever you need to go, and you wait for 10 minutes and you do some self-talk. I'm not going to scream at him. This isn't about him. This is about me. And then you go back down and you have a conversation. 10 minutes, you'll have a very different conversation if you take that pause. And finally, distance yourself emotionally when you're reprimanding your son. And the best way that I know how to do that is to look at your son and pretend he's your neighbor's kid. It really can work. Say to yourself, this is not my son in front of me who just crashed my car and did $2,000 worth of damage to my car. This is my neighbor's son, and I need to teach him why it's not good to take the car out and crash it and do $2,000 worth of damage. In other words, you're emotionally distancing yourself, and you're being almost third person with him. That can really help. So let's recap, Lisa. One, know that you're already breaking the cycle. You're well on the way. Second, realize that the anger that's coming out onto your son's shoulders is not all his. It doesn't deserve to land on his shoulders. A lot of it's anger that you have towards your mother or leftover hurt as a kid. So deal with that separately and it'll diffuse a lot of your anger. The third thing that you need to do, time out. Pause. If you're going to yell, you walk out of the room. And fourth, pretend he's someone else's son. And honestly and truly, by doing those four things, it takes you a long way in getting rid of that anger and breaking that cycle of yelling. Because I guarantee you, if you stop yelling at your son, you will raise a son who grows up to be a father who does not yell. Lisa, I know you can do this. As always, parents, keep sending me your questions at askmeg at megmeekermd.com or send me a tweet at megmeekermd. Friends, money holds power over many of us and we don't even realize it. So I encourage you today to take a hard look at the relationship that you have with money. When you do it, be brutally honest with yourself. If you have trouble figuring out how important it is to you, ask your kids. They'll tell you. Then ask yourself, is this the relationship that I want with money? Am I in charge of money or does getting more, spending more, or not spending any at all have hold over me? And once you decide to really put better priorities in place, not only will you be happier, but you will change your kids' lives for the better. Remember, they're sponges watching and waiting to see how we handle money. And what they see, they will imitate when they're older. Because remember, as I said in my points to ponder, our struggle will become our kids' struggle. The way we spend money teaches our kids how important it is or isn't to us. And teaching kids to have a healthy view of money is a key to freedom. Just like my guest, Rachel Cruz said, teaching our kids how to handle money well gives them freedom. I want to thank Rachel Cruz for being my guest today. She's a wonderful speaker. I hope that sometime you have the opportunity to hear her speak live in front of a crowd. Her book again is Love Your Life, Not Theirs. And remember, friends, until next time, great kids are raised, not born. We hope you've enjoyed listening to Parenting Great Kids. You can like Dr. Meg on Facebook and follow her on Twitter at Meg Meeker, MD. 
And don't forget to share the podcast, write us a review, and click subscribe. 